I'm sure that a lot of the ladies here, a lot of the good cooks that we have in our number, you probably got uh, one or more kitchen utensils, gadgets, if you will, that are designed for one and one only specific purpose. That's typical, right? You have this thing, this this kitchen necessity now. And it, it's there, and you use it, but you use it for one specific thing. As you go about your cooking processes, you have this gadget that does one unique thing. It's designed for that purpose. That's what it's there for. You fellas uh, in your garages or your workshops, you probably have that too. You've got a tool, and it's really important to you, and you wouldn't get rid of it for anything, but it's only for one specific job. It was designed to do that job, and, and that's what it's there for. Unique special, designed for one job. All right, with that concept in mind, I want to ask you about us. Us, human beings. What is our specific purpose, design? What is our reason for existence? We want to talk about that in our lesson this morning. Why are we here? What are we supposed to be doing while we are here? That will be our topic for discussion for just a few minutes this morning. We stop here just briefly to say thank you for being here. As Monty already greeted, we add our words of welcome to all who are here. What a beautiful Lord's Day in Middle Tennessee. Great privilege to be together to worship God. Uh, we pray that we will all be edified. We pray that He will be glorified. Uh, we really relish and cherish opportunities such as these to be together. We especially welcome our visitors. We want you to come back every time you have a chance, and we're always open to your questions about what we're doing here at College View and why we're doing it the way we are. If you have questions, by all means, please ask them. All right. I just said something that I want to build our lesson upon, and that is the idea that God is to be glorified. That's the purpose of our existence. Well, first of all, I would ask you just the general question. Do you agree that God ought to be glorified? And I hope everybody would say, yes, certainly God deserves to be glorified. But if you agree with that statement, would you agree with this follow-up observation? And that is that our entire purpose for existence is to glorify God. That's why we are here. Not just here for this period of worship, but that's why we're here on earth. That's why we are alive. That's why we are created, in order to glorify our Creator. We've read and heard through the centuries about men searching for the meaning of life. And some people have become quite frustrated seeking, what's this all about? What's our purpose for existence? Why are we here? Uh, some of them imply that the answer to that question is unsearchable, cannot be discovered. But actually, the answer is right here. The answer is that we are here to glorify the one who created us. There's lots of things we can do. There's all kinds of things we can be involved in. But our principal purpose and our very reason for existence is that we should glorify God. In Psalm 29, verse 2, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. That's actually a command. We are to give glory to God. And I would really urge us to understand that that is not an instruction that pertains to what we do when we come together for a worship period like this on the first day of the week. Certainly, it is now that we are to give the Lord the glory due unto His name. We should be doing that in our worship. I think our worship should be conducted very carefully to make sure that that does get accomplished. But it's not just in our Sunday assemblies for worship. It's in our entire lives, day by day. 
God deserves to be glorified. Give God, give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, that God in all things may be glorified. Might stress here the word all, in all things, everything we do ought to be done in such a fashion that God would be glorified. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, whether therefore ye eat or drink, notice, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. And so, maybe we don't concentrate enough on the concept that our very lives, everything, all, all that there is about our lives is to be in such a fashion that God is glorified by what we do and how we live. Jesus, of course, is the perfect example. He's the perfect example in all things. But in John chapter 8, verse 49, beginning, Jesus said, I honor my Father. I do not seek my own glory. And if that was true of Jesus, it certainly ought to be true of us that we honor the Father, that we seek His glory, not our own glory. All right, so God is to be glorified, and that's actually our very purpose for existence. And I hope we got agreement about that. I, hope, I don't think there would be any argument from anybody here this morning concerning that being true. But the big question comes as to how to accomplish that. How do we glorify God day by day in everything we do in our lives? This was actually a request that was posed to me recently. Let's talk about how to glorify God. And so, I think we can look to the Scriptures and find out some of the answers as to how it is done. First of all, I believe that God is glorified simply by our acknowledging Him as our Creator. This seems so obvious, but it needs to be pointed out. When we look around us, when we look at physical creation, and when we understand that God was the one who had the power to put all these things into existence simply through the speaking of His voice, by His command, all things came into existence. Not just the things that we see here on planet Earth, although they are amazing and incredible, but when we look into the vastness of the night sky and we see all the stars and planets and galaxies, amazing things that God brought into existence. He is the all-powerful Creator. And we ought to acknowledge Him as such. And we glorify Him when we acknowledge that He is the one who had the power to create everything that we see everything that we know. Unfortunately, statistics indicate to us that there's an increasing number of people who deny God, deny the existence of this Creator. And so they're certainly not glorifying God when they don't even acknowledge His existence. And that's not something, by the way, for us to take lightly. That's not, that's not something that's way off, far away from us, these people who deny God. Because we're hearing even more and more of, of some children of Christians who are taking that course. And we know the children of preachers and elders who have announced now that as they get away from home and maybe they go off to college, that they no longer believe in God. They won't even acknowledge God. And these are some kids that have been brought up uh, under the influence of Bible teaching. That just tells you how perverse the world is around us, but there are fewer and fewer people who are even willing to acknowledge God. We glorify God when we acknowledge that He exists, first of all. There's an interesting story about King Herod in Acts chapter 12. You may remember that Herod had put Peter in prison. He had killed James. He intended to kill Peter. An angel helped Peter escape from prison. 
that's the context of this. And just immediately on the heels of that episode, in Acts chapter 12, beginning verse 21, upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him. Notice, because he gave not God the glory, and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. Well, there are no people being eaten by worms today for denying God and failing to glorify God, failing to acknowledge. If there were, I'm saying, I'm sad to say there would be a lot of dead people in the world who fail to acknowledge God. There's no miraculous events such as this that came upon Herod, but God is still defamed and defrauded, uh, and I think still appalled when His creation, His own creation, those men of His creation, fail to acknowledge Him as the all-powerful Creator. So a very simple first point is that we glorify God by simply acknowledging Him as to who He is. Along that same line then, if we acknowledge Him as our Creator, then we certainly need to offer Him our praise. Our worship is designed for that purpose. We mentioned this earlier, but when we come together for periods of worship, uh, a lot of what we do is specifically designed and intended for the praise of God. And that being the case, we ought to enter into it with a sincere heart, uh, being very genuine. Uh, this should not be, what we do when we come together should not be a mindless sort of thing that we just do by rote. You know, we know those songs. We, we've sung those songs a hundred times. We don't even have to think about those songs when we're singing the words. We don't even necessarily pay close attention when someone is leading us in prayer. When it comes to the sermon or the Bible class discussion, we don't pay attention. Maybe even slip off to sleep. I want to tell you, all of those kind of things would would be a failure to praise God in worship. And, and as we said earlier, worship is not the only time that God is to be glorified. But when we offer specific expressions of praise by, by our singing, by our praying, uh, as we study His Word, when we offer those specific instances of praise, we are glorifying God. In Psalm 50, verse 23, Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. So when we praise Him, we're offering Him glory. And we do that. We should do that. We should do that consistently. In Psalm 86, verse 12, I will praise Thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify Thy name forevermore. Notice, it is with all my heart I will glorify Thee forevermore. Uh, it's not just words. It's a, it's a, a sincere desire to glorify Him by our words and action because He deserves it. You, know, you think of someone who deserves our praise. And you might think of some worldly figure that's popular or powerful or important. And we've used the illustration before. What if the President of the United States suddenly showed up in our assembly? How would you act? Well... Uh, regardless of your political persuasions, if the President of the United States showed up in our number, I think we would all want to show him a, a great degree of respect and, and we would want to honor him and we would want to even offer praise to this one who has received that rank among men. I don't tell you, if that's the case, all the more so for God because even 
the President of the United States, who is rightfully described as the most powerful man in the world, he, he doesn't even hold a candle to our Creator God. And so we need to offer our praise to God. In doing so, we, we are glorifying Him. But let me suggest also that we glorify God by our obedient faith. You know, there are a lot of people who would fall within these first two categories. Plenty of people who acknowledge God and who would even say nice things about God, maybe, if you want to categorize that as praise. But this next step in the process, the numbers fall down significantly. The number of people who glorify God by obedient faith, that's a minute minority uh, in the world today. really want to emphasize the idea of obedient faith. The kind of faith that God wants us to have is a faith which is obedient, that, that provokes us to do what He has instructed us to do. Abraham's a great example from the Old Testament, and he's referenced in the book of Romans, chapter 4, beginning verse 19. Abraham, being not weak in faith, staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, notice, notice this, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Abraham's strong, obedient faith is said to have glorified God. We know Abraham was a man of, of obedient faith. So many things in his life indicated that. This immediate context, by the way, in Romans chapter 4, speaks of him not wavering in faith when God promised him a son in his old age. But all through Abraham's life, his faith did not waver, and he consistently worked to do the will of God in his life. He had an obedient faith. Uh, and that's what we need. So, we're supposed to be glorifying God, right? We said earlier, that's our purpose for existence, is to glorify God. Are we doing that as we are seeking to obediently do the things that He told us to do? We have faith. We need to have obedient faith. It's not just what we say that we believe, but it's when we act upon that faith that we bring glory to God. And as Abraham and all the great heroes of faith throughout the Bible indicate the kind of faith that God wants us to have is an obedient faith. We glorify God through an obedient faith. I would also suggest that this means placing His will above our own. So we talked about obedient faith, but that obedient faith has to be the kind of faith that will be obedient to His will even when it's not my own will. Here's a father, and he has a son. And he tells his son, here's five dollars. Go over to the store over there and buy yourself uh, uh, a candy bar and soda pop. And the kid grabs the money and runs across over there to get what his dad told him to get. And someone who observes that says, boy, you sure got an obedient child there. He's such an obedient child. He ran right over there to buy candy and soda pop. What an obedient child that was. Is that the test? That's not the test, right? That doesn't prove anything about how that child honors his father. I remember my dad used to say, I want the yard to be mowed when I get home from work tonight. <laughs> oh, I dreaded that. I dreaded that. We had a little push mower. I mean, when I say little push mower, I think it had an 18-inch deck on it. Seemed like it took all day to mow that yard with that little push mower. My dad said, I want that grass to be mowed when I get home from work. We knew we better do it. 
we knew we better get it done, but we didn't want to do it. But I tell you, you honor your father when you do what he says to do, even when it's not what you really want to do. That's the test, right, of you honoring your father. And the same thing is true with God. Uh, we honor him when we are obedient. We glorify him when we are obedient, even when his will is not the same as our will. And I know you're probably already thinking far ahead of me here, but Jesus, again, is the ultimate example of this. Notice in John chapter 12, as Jesus was anticipating what was about to happen, as he would suffer horribly on the cross, in John chapter 12, verse 27, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I into the world. Father, glorify thy name. Jesus knew that God would be glorified as He did the Father's will. And He said, in fact, probably even more famously in Matthew 26, verse 39, He said, O Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou will. And so it wasn't His own will. Why did He do it? If it's not what He really wanted to do, He did it because He wanted the Father's name to be glorified. He placed the Father's will above His own will. And we do that same thing. Uh, we've got to follow His example. Now, there's all kinds of practical applications of that. Uh, something as simple as attending the worship services. Well, I attend the worship services when there's not something else I'd rather be doing. But if there's something else I'd rather be doing, I'm going to do that. Am I glorifying God then? Does any of my worship or attendance, we're talking specifically about attendance, does any, does any of my attendance really glorify God if I only do it when it's easy for me to do it? When I only do it when there's nothing else I'd really rather be doing? I want to suggest to you that's not glorifying God if I'm not putting His will above mine and worshiping and attending even when it's, there's other things maybe that I would do if I was following my own will? We could make the same point about giving. We could, make the, we could make the same point about purity of life. I'm going to live like the Bible says as long as it's what I already wanted to do anyway. But whenever the Bible asks me to do something different than what I want to do, I'm, not, I'm going to do my own will. If that's my attitude, I'm not really glorifying God. I glorify Him when I put His will above my own. Let me suggest to you that I glorify God by bearing fruit. That's really a, a, a broad statement, bearing fruit. It's a simple statement. Jesus said in John 15, verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Is it important for you to be identified as a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? I hope it is. And if it is then we glorify our Father by bearing much fruit. Oh, what is bearing fruit anyway? I think a lot of times we have narrowly defined bearing fruit to the idea of teaching lost people and converting them to Christ. And, and even maybe narrowed that down so much to say that we bear fruit when someone is baptized. Only when they are baptized. When they... When they um, uh, uh, finally obey the gospel and are baptized into Christ, we have borne fruit. But if, if I haven't taught someone and led them to that point of obedience and baptism, 
I'm not a fruit bearer. I just, I just really think that's way, way, way too narrow of a definition of bearing fruit. Bearing fruit would include that. I think certainly include that, and that needs to be an important priority for us. But I do not believe that bearing fruit for the Lord is just that. It's other things. It's all good things that we can do in His name. Um, when we do good deeds of service, when we are benevolent toward the needy, when we try to help and encourage and strengthen, especially those who are weak and struggling, when we set a right example before others in this present world, all of those kinds of things are bearing fruit. And as we live that kind of a life, we're glorifying our Father which is in heaven. I might just expand a little bit more on that last point we made about living a good example. When, when we live holy lives, that glorifies God. The world is a very wicked place. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. And it seems clearly that it's getting worse, not better. This is a very wicked world that we live in. And when we live right and do right, when we try to maintain holiness in the, in the, in the presence of all this wickedness, when we live holy lives, we glorify God. We need to stand out as being different from the world. We talked a little bit about that in our Bible class hour this morning here in the auditorium. But, but, the fact of the matter is that the Lord is calling us to be different from the world, not to be like the world around us. And we have to accept that reality. And when we do, and when we're willing to live different lives, a different kind of life, when we're willing to be different from the world as we live holy lives, we're glorifying God. Notice in 1 Peter 2, where Arthur read for us earlier, in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him that had called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Especially here, notice the expression, a peculiar people. And, and that's, that, that terminology or that phraseology maybe is used a little differently back here in the King James Version, which this is, I think, newer versions say, a, a people for God's own possession. But I think it does convey the notion that we're different, that we're not just like the people of the world. If we, li- if we live just like the people of the world live, how does that bring any glory to God? But when we are willing to live pure, holy lives in the midst of a, a wicked and perverse world, then we are glorifying God. Notice, you might contrast this idea of being this peculiar people, showing forth the praises of Him that is called... My contrast that with what Paul said of the Jews in Romans 2, verse 24, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. Uh, if, if, if we're not living right, we're trying to wear the name Christian, but we're not living right, what we're doing instead of glorifying God is giving opportunity for the name of God to be blasphemed. And so we've got to be living pure, holy lives if we hope to be glorifying God. Let me suggest to you that we glorify God by willing, being willing to suffer for His cause. In John chapter 21, this, this is Jesus. He had been speaking, He had been appearing to His disciples following the resurrection. And here, there's a context in this section of John 21 where Jesus had been challenging Peter to live for Him and, and, and to do His work. Uh, and at the end of that exchange with Peter here, in John 21, verse 18, 
Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say to thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spaking, notice, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, Follow me. Jesus suggested that God would be glorified through the suffering that Peter would do, uh, even suffering unto death. But Peter's suffering would be a, a way that God would be glorified. What about us? Well, we're not being called upon to die for the cause of Christ. At least not yet. Could change. Things could get different. I think they could change probably suddenly. Uh, we pray that that wouldn't happen. We pray that we can continue to freely worship and serve God. And we've been blessed to live a lifetime where that's been our privilege, our, our freedom. Uh, we've been able to serve without interference or anybody causing us physical harm. It could change. It could change suddenly. But whether or not we're called upon to die for the cause of Christ, the fact of the matter is we should be willing to suffer for Him. Uh, and, and through that suffering, uh, we glorify God. Too many, even Christians, don't want to suffer anything in service to God. We've got to be willing to suffer for His cause. And in doing so, we glorify Him. Well, there's some suggestions about this main principle. The main principle that we've set forth is our purpose here, our whole purpose for existence is to glorify God. That has to be in our thinking. Now, there are a lot of ways to do that. We've tried to suggest several. There might, be a, there might be more that you could add to that list or there might be a different list that you care to construct. But all of these uh, encompass the idea uh, that we glorify God in the way that we live our lives. And our question to you as we bring our lesson to a close is, are you fulfilling, are you living out the purpose of your very existence? And if you, if you don't consciously think about what, it's, what you're here for, what, what your purpose for existence is, if you don't consciously think of that, then you're probably not getting the job done. Are you glorifying God? Christian, are you living such a life that you bring glory to God? If not, then some things need to change because you once identified yourself as a follower of Christ. You once made a commitment of obedience to the will of God in your life. If you've not been living that out, then you need to change. You need to come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If you're not a Christian yet, then I would simply argue that you are not bringing glory to God you are not fulfilling your purpose for existence. If you're not a Christian, you need to think about that seriously. If you understand that simple gospel plan of salvation, we would urge you to obey it today. Hear the truth. Believe. Confess your faith in Christ. Repent of your sins. Be baptized for the remission of sins. If we can assist you in that obedience today, we'd be anxious to do so. We'd be glad to study more with you. If there's any way at all that we can be of assistance, let us know while we stand and sing this song.